Hello and welcome to Radical Candor, a podcast from Panoply and Gretchen Rubin's Onward Project about how not to hate the boss you have or be the boss you hate. I'm Russ Laraway, co-founder of Candor Inc. and career-long operational manager across the Marines, Google, and Twitter. And I'm Kim Scott, co-founder of Candor Inc., former executive at Google and Apple, and CEO coach at Twitter, Dropbox, and a bunch of other great companies. I'm also the author of Radical Candor. This week, we're going to talk about a topic that so many of you listeners have written in to ask us about, what to do if you're working with remote teams. Yes, yeah, it's really common now uh, these days for people to be working in all kinds of different locations, whether that's different offices in the U.S. from New York to San Fran or uh, even different countries. People are working from home a lot more these days. And if you're a boss with a remote team or if you have a boss who works in a different place, it can feel a lot harder to build a strong relationship and develop a culture of feedback. Long distance relationships are hard no matter where they happen. So today we're going to talk about working with remote teams, and along the way we're going to share three things. Some mistakes we've made, but also some successes. Sometimes we do get it right. We'll answer a listener question about distributed teams, and we'll finish with some specific tips for building stronger relationships with remote teams in this week's Candor Checklist. All right, let's get into it. So As we've said before, it is so important to build strong relationships with the people you work with. Absolutely. Yeah, it's critical. In our our view, it's critical. And working with a remote team or a boss is difficult because you just, you can't have as frequent contact. Yeah. And we talk a lot about how important it is to talk in person, but if you're remote, that's obviously not possible. Yeah. Communication can just be a lot harder, especially if there's cultural or language issues. Time zone issues. Time zone issues, all of that stuff. And so we're going to kind of talk about all of these things. But to start, let's look at some challenges that the two of us have faced when working with remote teams. Challenges and successes. Yeah. So I've had, I have a big one that I sort of, I'd say, messed up. Cool. Let's hear about it. So to set a little context, shortly after Google had acquired DoubleClick Mm -hmm. back in, I don't know, 2007, 2008, something like that, I took over one of the operating teams for DoubleClick. I remember that. Yeah. I'd been at Google. We acquired the company. I was pretty interested in helping make that acquisition a success. It was $3.2 billion Google paid at that point. It's a lot of money. Yeah, so much money. And at that point, it was the largest acquisition, not only by the price that they paid, Uh, but also by the number of people they needed to bring in. And so there were two pretty distinct cultures that we had to figure out how to make work together. Strong cultures, both of them. Yeah, Google with a very technical engineering culture, DoubleClick with a very strong sales culture. And this was just a really interesting problem for me. So we're probably a few months in. I'm in California, headquarters in Mountain View. And one of my direct reports that I had inherited from the acquisition was in New York running a fairly large team. And... I had regular one-on-ones with him and was getting sort of a regular thumbs up. Things are good to go, boss. He's a pretty senior guy. I Mm -hmm. sort of trusted that everything was good and they maybe didn't do a good enough job sort of checking up with a little more regularity. A little challenge directly. I just wasn't doing enough challenge directly. And so fast forward a few more weeks and my boss is in a meeting in New York City with Mm -hmm. some of these folks, right? And my boss, because I told my boss, everything's great, boss. It's all good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, My boss said something like that in the meeting. And one of the product managers, renowned for 
his candor. Radical candor. Yeah, or, you know, sometimes maybe even bleeding toward obnoxious aggression, but mostly radical mostly candor. Mostly radical candor. Said something to the effect of, are you high? <laughs> Things are blowing up in that group. <laughs> and so the boss came to me and said, hey, there's a big disconnect between what you're telling me is happening and what the product manager says yeah, is happening. Yeah, that's not the situation you want to be in. Nobody does. I don't yeah. want to be in that. The boss didn't want to be yeah. in that situation. We're we're all sort of in a situation we don't want to be in. And so I actually sort of remember, I'm not much of a panicker at work. I have this sense that we're, calm. we're not doing life and death stuff. Right. Nobody's going to get killed today at Google. Yeah, but this was a really high visibility situation, which, by the way, makes my lack of challenge directly, all the more inexcusable. Right. But I I panicked a little bit at that moment because I th- was re- learning that I was so disconnected from right. what was actually happening. <laughs> you didn't know what was going on on your own team. Yeah, which is a huge problem. So I had to go dig in. We'll spare everyone the details. Turned out things were blowing up. They were not nearly as good as I'd been led to believe. And I had to really deploy a lot of energy and effort to kind of get things squared away there. And a big part of it was just I allowed myself to remain too disconnected from my uh, very senior but remote employee, and I was completely out of touch with what was actually happening on the ground. Wow, that's harsh. Yeah, it was pretty harsh. So how'd you fix it? I needed to get on a plane and go visit. Yeah. Yeah. I just I just had to go. Sometimes you you really can understand what's happening if you're if you got your feet on the ground. Yeah. So this that's more like a root canal because I hadn't been doing the right brushing and flossing. Right. I needed to go uh, have a root canal. And in the end, what became really clear to me was that this direct report wasn't exactly the right fit, given right. our new paradigm. Um, my boss had said, as we talked through the situation, I had never seen a case in which the truth was less forthcoming. Right. Um and so uh, t- the the solution, uh, unfortunately, was actually to to start by replacing leadership. Right. Um, and I did that. Yeah. And, and uh, leadership was really the big problem there. And I learned that by by going out by there. By going and out in. there. Yeah. That's a good story. So I, I also have a story. I, I used to work with teams that were distributed all over the world. And when I left Google in 2010. The leader of the team in Japan came to me and said how connected he felt to me and how much he had appreciated everything I had done to make sure that his team felt connected. I was kind of surprised by this, actually, because for the previous couple of years, actually, I hadn't been able to travel that much. And so I asked him what he thought had helped. And here's what he told me that I did that he liked. One thing that I did that Koji is his name, that Koji liked, is that I would work on Asia Pacific time for one week out of every quarter. So I would come into the office late in the afternoon and stay till like, you know, the middle of the night. And when you're dealing with remote teams and they're on a different time zone, one of the problems is that there's literally not a good time for you to talk. And it's either going to be inconvenient for you or it's going to be inconvenient for the other people. And so just sort of sucking up that inconvenience and coming in for a week, a quarter, was really important to the team. And it was also important to me. If I did that, it meant I didn't have to travel quite as much, which which was really important to me. And another thing that he said really helped, and this was something I had learned from a boss that I had had uh, when I worked in Russia, 
was I tried to talk to him sort of two or three times a week instead of just like a once a week one-on-one. And I really worked on being disciplined about doing that over video, not just picking up the phone and calling, but doing it over a video call. That's smart. But the reason why I think those short conversations were important, frequent short conversations, is that you begin to develop an intuition for what's going on with a person, with their moods. Are they agitated today? And then you can ask why and you understand whether it's something that's happening at home that has nothing to do with you or because they're frustrated by something you're doing or they're frustrated by something that's happening at work that you can impact. So I think that's really important. Uh, so just those two things were were a big help with yeah. that team in Japan. Yeah. By the way, just a couple things to add here. I'm going to brag about you a little bit on this because I'm kind of I'm kind of familiar with the situation. First, just to point out, Koji, um, that's really high praise from Koji. In fact, if I'm not mistaken, I think he might have said he felt more connected with you than other than any other leader he'd worked with. He did. That, yeah. Yes, I I felt very honored. Yeah. To, to hear that. The other thing is, I just I really want to flag. I want to make sure people catch how innovative the time zone shift solution is, because I personally don't love to travel for work. It's an inevitability and we have to do it sometimes. And I'll personally aggressively seek to limit that. And so just want to make sure folks caught that that time zone shift solved two different problems. It made you more readily available for more sort of impromptu, let's say, contact with people that are operating naturally in a different time zone. And it's spared you from traveling. Yes. Right? Um, it's not the only answer that, you know, there needs to be. You, you do have to go there. You got to go. But I just want to really flag for folks just how innovative that solution you came up with was for you and for the team in Japan. Yeah. I still got to sleep in my own bed. Uh, not exactly the hours I wanted to <laughs> wrong sleep. Wrong time. But wrong time of day. Way easier than getting on a plane and going. Yeah. It seems like everybody won. I think another thing that that is often really helpful is bringing people to you. Often for them, especially in in my case, I was working with mostly a pretty young team. And for them, travel was a perk. For me, it was a punishment. (laughs) And so I tried to make sure that I would allow them to come as often as they wanted to. Yeah, that's great. And also, you know, when you were at headquarters and it's always I think it's fun for remote teams. It's important for them to get to headquarters. It's yes. a place where you can really feel the company uh, by, by being there. And so that was a, that's a nice perk uh, to to give to the teams. OK, so these are just a couple of our many stories about working with remote teams. We both have actually a lot of experience with this. It is really challenging. And of course, we would love to hear your stories too. So if you have stories, successes, failures, et cetera, either one's fine by us, write to us at podcast at radicalcandor.com. Coming up, our listener question, but first a word from our sponsor. All this month, we're asking you to tell a friend about a podcast that you think they'll love. Right now, think of a friend. Right now, right this second, think of a friend. Call their face up to your mind. What podcast would they really love? Do you know, I, I got my mom on podcasts because we were starting one. Wow. And I did it by sending her a series of screenshots on how to sign up and subscribe to our, our, That's good. our yeah. podcast. That's good. Yeah, do that. So do you that. can do that too. There's no excuse. So go tell them in real life or in social media. You probably Your whole family's probably on Facebook since there are 2 billion people there. And if they don't know about podcasts, show them now. Tell us what you recommend with the hashtag tripod. That's T-R-Y 
pod, like try podcast. It's pretty clever, I think. Very clever. T-R-Y-P-O-D. Yeah. Thanks for spreading the word. So as we mentioned earlier, we've gotten quite a few listener questions about remote virtual teams. And an aspect that has come up a couple of times has been cultural differences. So here's one listener's question. My entire team is virtual and spread across different time zones and countries with different cultures. I'm wondering how to practice radical candor when there are not face-to-face interactions and when there are different cultures. Does radical candor work in different cultures? Does it need to be adjusted? Absolutely. Radical candor does work in different cultures, but it also does need to be adjusted. So the answer is yes. Radical candor is a universal. Caring personally and challenging directly are something that need to happen in any human relationship, no matter what country or culture on earth that relationship is happening in. But it's also culturally relative. Just as we've talked about how it's interpersonally relative, that that great that radical candor gets measured at the listener's ear, not at your mouth, that also translates to culture. I have a story about this. I worked with teams in, in Tel Aviv and in Tokyo, as I've already mentioned. And radical candor felt very different in Tel Aviv than it did in Tokyo. How and, so? Well, in Tokyo, for example, in order to translate the idea for the team, I didn't call it radical candor. I called it polite persistence, right? So there was, there was a time when, when the AdSense team in Japan was very frustrated with the AdSense for mobile applications product team in Mountain View. Yeah, and, and by the way, at that time, Japan, pretty, pretty far ahead of the rest way, of the world in mobile stuff. And, yeah, way ahead in mobile. Yeah, they knew a lot more. Than we did. About mobile in general and where it was heading than we did. Yeah. So that makes, so that makes sense maybe that they were that frustrated. They were, yeah. <laughs> it's good context. And so they kept complaining to me and then they wanted me to go fight with product. But a lot was getting lost in translation. I didn't actually know that much about mobile at the time. And so I was encouraging the team to challenge directly the product team in Mountain View but the product team in Mountain View, they were kind of like gods at Google, right? It was, it was scary to challenge them. And so to help bolster the team's courage, I said, you've got to challenge these people with polite persistence. Polite was the way that that team thought about moving up on the caring personally axis. But persistence was how I explained to them what I meant by challenge directly. Don't back down just because those product people disagree with you because You might know more than they do, and they want to know what you know. Ultimately, they want to be successful, and you want them to be successful. So you're on the same side of this. And once they embraced this notion of polite persistence, there was no getting out of their way. I mean, they were were relentless. And I think a lot of Google's success in AdSense for mobile applications is thanks to that the polite persistence or the radical candor of that team in Japan. Yeah, that, that's a, that is a great story. Um, I'd say that the the basic idea is that your culture, right, is, even if it's a, a sort of a country culture, possibly even a work culture, what care personally looks like might be a little different from culture to culture, and what challenge directly looks like might be a little different from culture to culture. But those two ideas are still universal. It's just the way they're applied. Right. You've got to offer them in a way that other people can hear them. I mean, I was raised in the South, and there's a different 
Kim, still Kim, still radical candor. But there's a different flavor of it when I go home to Memphis than, than when I go back to New York. And one of the insights I've had over the years is, again, also having managed a bunch of non-U.S. teams or international teams, is that for me, the much bigger puzzle to solve is what's happening in an individual's head. Yes. And I, th- I just feel like only a tiny percentage of that is a function of their specific culture. We're far more similar than we are different. Far more similar. I mean, I'd, I'd go so far as to say like 90-10. Some genetically, it's way more. I genetically, it's like ninety nine point five or well, well, in fact, we're that close to chimpanzees. We're we're ninety nine point five, like close to chimpanzees. So we're even more with yes. even more genetically similar with uh, with the other humans around the right. planet. Individual trumps culture almost every time. Yeah, I think that's right. So thanks so much to all the listeners who wrote in about this topic and made it clear that we needed to do this episode. Let us know what challenges you'd like us to address in future episodes by contacting us on Twitter at Candor or by calling us at 2626CANDOR. And now the Candor Checklist. Yeah, my favorite part of our show, practical tips that you can put into action right away to strengthen your relationships with remote teams. So tip number one. Have frequent, quick check-ins every day, if possible, just for a couple of minutes. This creates an opportunity for far more impromptu feedback. Impromptu feedback is sort of awkward if you have to call the person and you don't usually do it. But if you're in the habit of talking to them every day, it creates an opportunity. I mentioned in Episode 7 that when I lived in Moscow and my boss was in New York, he got in the habit of calling me as soon as he woke up every morning, which was about 3 p.m. my time, and how helpful that was for us in terms of building a real relationship together. So just like a quick check-in every every morning. Yeah, every morning, his time, every after. And he, he did it right when he first woke up because if he waited till he got in the office, it was 5 o'clock my, my time. So it was very considerate of him to do it at that time. That's a great point. If you're the boss, schedule these. If you're the employee, ask for these. Okay, tip number two. If you can exchange feedback in person... Video conference is second best. Body language, human connection, being able to show that you care personally, you're just going to have a little better shot at that by setting up some kind of video conference. And this stuff's pervasive now, right? Google Hangouts and Skype are two very simple examples. Apple, FaceTime. Don't forget Apple. It's everywhere. The stuff's real stable now. And look, sometimes you can't even do video for one reason or another, you know, Really try is the encouragement here, but if you just can't do video, pick up the phone. Really what you got to avoid, and I'd say, um, and having, by the way, messed this up about 7,000 times, probably 7,000 times last (laughs) week, actually, you got to avoid email, which is my personal curse, and text. You can use email and text, but don't rely on them to build your relationship. Especially if you can set up a video conference or pick up the phone or pick up the phone they're so superior to email and text that i really would try to encourage people to focus on those two options video is really powerful I, when i was pregnant with my twins my doctor told me i said can i travel and she said well sure you can travel if you're not worried about the hearts and lungs of your children <laughs> so i didn't travel and i didn't travel for the pregnancy and then for about 5 months after they were born and Using video really got me sort of 75% maybe of the value of, of actually taking a trip. So travel if you can, but if you can't, use video. Moving along to tip number three. 
If you have to choose between giving feedback in person and giving it immediately, choose immediately, unless it's something totally serious. Mostly, yeah. Yeah, Mostly. Mostly. Remember, the purpose of praise is to help people know what to do more of. The purpose of criticism is to help people know what to do better. And if you wait, then you just delay the benefit of the feedback. So give it right away. However, if the situation is really dire, if you're going to fire somebody, like get on a plane and go go do it in person. Yeah, for sure. All right. So to recap our candor checklist this week, tip number one, have frequent check-ins daily if possible. Tip number two, if you can't do it in person, video conference is second best. And tip number three, if you have to choose between giving feedback in person or immediately, more often than not, immediately, because uh, it helps people fix it faster. Absolutely. So we know that a lot of you out there are working with teams that aren't in the same office as you are, even in the same city. And we hope that these tips are going to help you build stronger relationships with the people, those remote teams who you work with. Don't forget, you can revisit these tips in our show notes for the episode at RadicalCandor.com slash podcast. Tweet us at Candor with your follow-up questions, and we'll post responses on our blog. Now let's announce this week's Candor t-shirt winner. This week's winner is E.M. 73011. E.M. writes, I'm a young person rather new to the workforce, and I enjoy this podcast. It provides different perspectives that I find helpful in navigating the workplace. E.M. 73011. (laughs) Sorry, we don't know your name. I bet it's Emily. Please email us at podcast at radicalcandor.com to claim your candor t-shirt. Listeners, this is our last t-shirt winner for now, but stay tuned. We'll have more giveaways coming soon. And that's it for Radical Candor. Our producer is Kristen Meinzer. Thanks also to Laura Mayer and Andy Bowers at Panoply and to Elise Lockhart at Candor. Our theme song is written and performed by Cliff Goldmacher. Please let us know what you think of the show. You'll find us on Twitter at Candor. Our website is www.radicalcandor.com. And the Radical Candor book is available for pre-order on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Book Passage, and at your local bookseller. And guess what? Its release date is Pi Day, March 14th, one week from today. If you like the show, please be sure to tell a friend. If you don't have any friends, please make some friends and then tell them about the show. Also, make sure to subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app so that you automatically get each new episode. That is huge. Don't forget to leave us a rating or comment wherever you subscribe. It helps other people discover our show. Radical Candor is a part of the Onward Project, which also includes Side Hustle School and Happier with Gretchen Rubin. In a recent episode of Side Hustle School, we hear the story of a man who sells live crickets to reptile owners without ever handling any inventory. Wow. It's amazing. And the way you find out how this guy does it is by listening to Side Hustle School. It's a great podcast. Agreed. I'm Kim Scott. And I'm Russ Laraway. We'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening.